Thanks for tuning in to the Restoration Church podcast. We are a church that is committed to building better lives. We hope you enjoy this message recorded live at our weekly Sunday service. We're going to take an in-depth look at the Gospels. And so I'm not going to systematically work through the book, meaning going chapter by chapter, teaching line by line. I'm not doing it that way. But what we're going to do is we're doing an overview. But in the overview, we are taking somewhat of a a, a deep dive. And so um, what we've done is that on the app, we have put together a reading plan. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to read through the entire Gospels together. So what we'll do is we'll come together on Sunday nights. We'll take a look at the book that we're talking about. And then starting on Monday morning uh, on the app, we'll post every day at midnight. Actually, it's going to post. And so if you're a night owl, you want to wait up and get it at, at midnight, you do you, all right? Uh, and we'll start. So it'll launch tonight at midnight. It'll be available for you in the morning. And every day we're going to walk through. Now, Matthew is a larger book. So it is like three to four chapters a day. Uh, if you're not a reader, you can get the Bible app and you can listen to it while you read along, uh, get on a treadmill, put it in your ears, look down at the Bible, read the Bible, get it in your spirit. But my hope is what I'm going to do is I want to do some teaching. Is that all right? So this is going to be a a teaching series because what, what I want us to do is I want us to walk away from this series and I want us to read the Bible differently. There's going to be sermon series that we plan, and they're strategic in faith building, right? We're going to have certain sermon series where we come in, and it, man, we leave like on cloud nine, like we could go take the world. And I believe that God can do that through this. But my goal in this is that you learn things about the Bible that when you open this book, that you see it differently. Because if you're dependent on me, or if you're dependent on the sermon, or if you're dependent on a podcast, you're depending on the wrong thing. This is what we need. And so my hope, my prayer and desire is that through this series that we learn the word of God a little deeper and that when we open it up, uh, we understand it a little more. Amen. So if you don't amen me down this message, that's okay. We're teaching, we're learning, we're growing, we're getting better. And when you read this book this week, I promise you, your life is going to be changed. How many of you will commit with me to read through all of the Gospels uh, over the next couple of weeks? We've made it really easy and a little devotional for you uh, every day. Super easy. We're going to do this together. So let's go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. I like to read from my paper Bible. Matthew 5, 17 says this, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. This is Jesus speaking. I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but what? To fulfill them. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. If we could say that there's a key verse in all of Matthew, I believe that this would be the key verse. Let's look at why. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, your spirit's in this room tonight. And we feel you, God. Lord, we know that you've been welcomed in on the praises of your people. And so, God, right now, I just pray that every heart be open. Pray that every ear be open, every mind be open, that we might receive of your word. In Jesus' name, And everybody said, 
Amen, amen, and amen. There are sermon notes as well on the app. If you want to uh, open up your app, you can go to the notes page and there'll be some fill-in notes there on the app as well. In this series, I want to talk about the who, the what, and the why of each of the Gospels. Who was it written by? Who was it written to? Why was it written? And what was the purpose it was written for? Most importantly, how does it apply to us today? Each gospel account was written with a specific purpose and with an audience in mind and seeks to prove different things about Jesus and who Jesus was. It's four vantage points written of Jesus from four different perspectives that allow us to see Jesus in a different light. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're known as this. They're known as the synoptic gospels, meaning they are all very similar in content. In fact, more than 75% of Mark's content can be found in Matthew and Luke. In fact, most scholars would agree that the book of Mark was written first based on the fact of how much content is borrowed from the gospel of Mark. Only two of the gospel writers, I'm just giving you some information about the gospels before we dive into this. Only two of the gospel writers were eyewitnesses to all that they wrote about. Matthew and John were a part of the 12 disciples, which would become the 12 apostles, witnessing everything that they wrote about, while Mark and Luke were not a part of the 12. Some of you, that might be news to you right there. They may have been eyewitness to some of the things that took place because they would have been around but are more famously known for being scribes or companions of church leaders, one to Peter and one to Paul, which we'll talk about in the coming weeks. So let's take a look at Matthew tonight. Matthew is this. Matthew is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So the Old Testament ends, 400 years pass, and then the New Testament begins. And Matthew actually didn't write this until probably about 30, 40 years after Jesus had been crucified, after Jesus had been resurrected, after Jesus is taken into heaven. So Matthew writes this account. You've got to understand when Jesus was telling his disciples, listen, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. I mean, I think they expected him to be gone, you know, a matter of a few weeks, maybe a matter of a few months. And then Jesus is coming back and he's going to take over. He's going to set up his rule on the earth. So in their mind, most scholars believe that the reason that they didn't even start writing these accounts down was because they fully expected Jesus's return. So as they got older, they realized, you know what? We need to record these eyewitness accounts. We need to record these so that the word of God can be preached in the future. And God inspired them in such a way, each of them, to write to a specific audience for a specific person and a specific reason. And that's what we'll look at in all of this. So what Matthew is, is Matthew is a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In fact, there are 55 direct quotes from the Old Testament, and there are 76 references to the Old Testament. So Matthew being a tax collector, being um, a Jew, being uh, well-educated, 
He knew the Old Testament. And so you'll find out in just a minute that Matthew, he wrote the book to the Jews. And listen to this. His purpose and intent was to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, the King of the Jews. So I want you to write that down. I want you to put that in your notes because as you're reading this week through the book of Matthew, I want you to remember this, that Matthew is writing his book with the intent to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, that he truly was the King of the Jews. He was writing to an audience that had been looking for years for the coming Messiah. And now about 40 years after Jesus had uh, been raised from the dead, Matthew writes his gospel to further convince unbelieving Jews. And that's why Matthew 5.17 is so important. That's why to his audience, to the people that he was writing to, to the people that he was trying to convince, Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 was so critical when it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, what I have come to do is to fulfill them. And so when we look at this, the question then for us becomes, when we look at that passage of scripture, okay, what did Jesus fulfill in the Old Testament? Are you with me tonight? You with me? If you're with me, say, I'm with you. I know. Okay. All right. All right. This is our critical verse of this book, and it pretty much outlines Matthew's purpose. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was prophesied. In other words, what Matthew was writing to his fellow people was this. There's no longer any need to continue to search. No longer any need to continue to wait. The Messiah has come and fulfilled all that the Old Testament has taught. And I might pause in my teaching just to preach to somebody tonight and tell you that the wait is over. If you've been searching for something, if you've been looking for something, if you've been in need of something, the wait is over. All was fulfilled in Jesus. You may be living under condemnation and shame, but I would tell you that grace has come. Why wait? Why battle with the sin? Why battle with the struggle? Why battle any longer? Jesus came. Why wait? Why keep searching? Because Jesus fulfilled it all. That's just a little bit of preaching in the middle of some teaching, all right? So let's look at this. What was, fi- what was fulfilled? What was fulfilled in the Old Testament? So there are three covenants that God made in the Old Testament and Jesus fulfills each one of these covenants. From the very onset of the book of Matthew, he sets out to establish that Jesus was the fulfillment of these covenants. Because see, when you you open up to Matthew, you go to Matthew chapter one, and the very first thing that you see is, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Who does he mention first? Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, a lot of you, when you open up Matthew chapter one, your eyes glaze over and you're like, really? This looks like Old Testament stuff. So-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so. But the reason that Matthew put this up at the front of his book is because he was writing to a Jewish audience and he wanted them to know right up at the top that, look, this is a descendant of Abraham, the one that is the father of our faith, the one that God brought out of his tent and said, I'm going to make you into a great nation and, and through you, all people, come on, somebody say all people. 
We'll talk about this later, but all people will be blessed through you. Right at the very beginning of his account of Jesus, he said, I want you to know that this is of utmost importance because Jesus came through the lineage of Abraham. Most of us look at it, our eyes glaze over. We, we think of it as uh, insignificant, maybe even one of those passages that you just go, get me to the action, you know? Uh, get me to the, to the good stuff. You're, you're fast forwarding through it. Don't fast forward through this part because there's so much importance in it. So the first of the three covenants that Jesus would fulfill is this, if you're taking notes with me, it's the Abrahamic covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant is really this. It is, a, it is a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of grace. The Abrahamic covenant was made with Abraham that God would bless him and make him a great nation. And the Bible says that when he simply believed that it was credited to him as righteousness, and I know if you're here, you say, I've heard you say this before. I've heard you preach this before. You're going to hear it a lot more because it's the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of who we are. When we go back to this, this is literally, when we go all the way back to the beginning, this is where it all began. Grace through faith started here as Abraham stepped out and he said, God, I believe your word. I would tell you tonight, there is nothing that you can't do if you'll simply take God at his word. Where I believe we're going as a church happened by going, God, I simply believe your word. And, and, and sometimes it's reframing in my mind going, I don't know if you can do that. And God is saying, Craig, trust me, take me at my word. I challenge us tonight. We've got to take God at his word. That's not in my notes. That's just a little extra. Let's go. Genesis chapter 12. It's in your notes. You can follow along with me. It says this. Then the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great. What? And you will be a blessing. Notice the blessing had nothing to do with Abraham and everything that God wanted to do through Abraham. I will make you a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed. So some events happen. Let's pick it back up in Genesis chapter 15. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and no one will inherit my estate? And Abraham said, You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Watch this. Here's the promise. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars. If indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. So he takes someone He's barren, has no children. And he says, I'm going to bless you with a son. And out of you will come a blessing that blesses all people. So God makes a covenant with Abraham in this moment. I'm going to bless you in such a way with a son. And you can't even imagine what's going to come through this son. 
You can't even imagine that the generations to come, that all the people of the earth will be blessed through you and not material blessings or possessions, although that did come along with this blessing. But what he is saying is that through your son and then the generations and generations will then come Jesus and through Jesus and by death on a cross and being risen out of a grave, all peoples of the earth will be able to be blessed. So Jesus said, look, I didn't come to do away with the law or the covenants that were made. What I did is I came to fulfill them. I came to be the blessing. I am the blessing that was promised so long ago. And verse six says, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness simply because Abraham believed. And it's no different today that when we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, that we would confess with our mouth, believe in our heart, guess what? That we would be saved. Do you see it? Do you see it that in the Old Testament, it's the same that it is in the New Testament? The way that God set it out in the beginning, it's the same way that it is now. Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with it. What I came to do is establish it and be it. It's a new covenant, but I have fulfilled it. Does that make sense tonight? So there's two promises that are at play in these verses. In these verses establishing that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham really mattered or why it really mattered. Number one is this, that all nations of the earth would be blessed through Abraham, which I just talked about, and grace through faith. See, Matthew, first and foremost, wanted his readers, his Jewish readers, to know that Jesus was a descendant of Abraham and the promise that was made to Abraham still stands. This was a covenant that was made with a man made with Abraham, a man, but would bless all people. It wouldn't stay with one man, but it would extend to all people. Through Jesus, all people receive grace. Come on, is there anybody that's thankful for grace tonight? Aren't you glad that there was a promise written in the very beginning, a covenant made in the very beginning pages of of this book, that when you transfer right over here to the New Testament, that the promise still stands. Aren't you so thankful that we serve a God that the promise still stands? That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come on, his promise still stands. His promise still stands. See, the Abrahamic covenant was a covenant of grace. In exchange for belief, Abraham received grace. All he had to do was simply believe. Look, watch this though. He didn't deserve it. He didn't earn it. Watch this. He wasn't even inconsistent in it. So God makes this promise to Abraham. He waits 25 years. The promise doesn't come about. He tries to take matters into his own hands. He takes his his maidservant and and conceives a child with his maidservant. Why? Because his faith was weak in a moment. And even in 
a moment of weakened faith, what we see is that God's promise still stands, that God's promise is still faithful. Can I just say to somebody, maybe you're struggling, wavering in your faith. Maybe you're having doubts. Can I tell you the promises of God still stand? That's what a covenant of grace is all about. I can be in weak moments. I can have hard times. I can be down and the promises of God still stand. We just have to continue to hold on and keep believing tonight. Amen? Amen. Number two, number two. And I'm actually going to skip a covenant right here. And I'm going to skip to the third covenant. And you'll see the reason why here in just a moment. But the next covenant that he fulfilled, or the third covenant that he fulfilled, and I'm coming back to the second, is the Davidic covenant. And the Davidic covenant was this. It was a, a covenant of lineage and adoption, lineage and adoption. Watch what um, this covenant that was made with David as God spoke through the prophet Samuel. He said this, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Come on, somebody say forever. How long is forever? Forever. Never ends. It's eternity. So God says, your house and your kingdom will endure for how long? Forever. Your throne will be established for how long? Forever. So that means heaven and earth will pass away, but your word remains forever. So is he speaking of, a, of an earthly person that's going to come to earth and just live forever? Do we take this to be exact? What is this? In this is the, is the prophecy of a coming Messiah. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy that he comes through Abraham, generation, generation, down to David, generation, Joseph, Mary, Jesus is born. He's in the line of David. He is the one who will reign forever. He is the one who will bring heaven to earth and we will reign with him. He is the one who conquered death, hell, and the grave, that he ascended out of the grave, ascended into heaven, and lives forevermore. He is the one that came through David and established a throne forever. Jesus is the fulfillment of this covenant made to King David. And Matthew wanted his Jewish audience to realize that Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne, and we haven't even made it out of chapter one. You're like, my God, you're going to be preaching all night. I'm not, I promise. We'll get to chapter 28 eventually, all right? He fulfilled the Davidic covenant, and he wanted him, he wanted his audience to know it. He's the seed of Abraham, he's the seed of David. The covenants that were made, the things that were prophesied, Jesus didn't do away with those things. He is the fulfillment of those things. Because if he could prove the genealogy of Christ, that he was the one to take the throne, then maybe, just maybe, these non-believing Jews would see that Jesus was truly the Messiah. Now listen to me really quick. Listen, listen to what I'm going to say. He was appealing to people who knew and had studied the word of God. He was appealing to their logic. He was appealing to their intellect. 
Matthew was appealing to people who had a knowledge, but not an understanding. I wonder how many times we've had knowledge of who Jesus is, but not a true understanding of who he is. They knew the law. They knew the Torah. They knew everything that had been written. They knew the prophecies. They knew about the covenants. But when the fulfillment of all of that showed up right there in front of them, they couldn't even recognize it. And I wonder how many times we've had a head full of knowledge, but that knowledge is never transferred into, into heart change in our life. And so it's just stayed in, in the knowledge and not the understanding. Because if we understand it, then we apply it, right? Because understanding happens when we have knowledge and we actually apply it to our life. But how many times will we show up at church and we get knowledge and we don't apply it, therefore we never have understanding? And what I want is that as we study the Bible, as we study this book over the next five weeks, is that we don't just gain knowledge, but that we gain understanding of who he is. That we see on a deeper level, God, this is who you are, and this is what you are trying to do. So Matthew was trying to convince his people, hey, this is the Messiah. I know you've got all this knowledge. Apply the knowledge that you have and gain understanding. Because maybe Peter understood best. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16 says this. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said, but, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And watch what Peter says. You are the Messiah the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and watch the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. All happened because a confession that Jesus was the Messiah. What can God do in our churches? What can God do in our world when we simply confess and believe that he is Messiah, that he is the Lord, that he has all power, that he has all strength, that he can do what his word says, that he is the fulfillment, that he didn't do away with it, but he fulfilled it. What can God do when we will come to him in faith? Come on. Come on, I'm excited, and it gets me excited. Why? Because when we'll simply put our faith in Jesus, there's nothing that will stop the church. He said, he said on this confession, on this confession, what I'm going to do is I'm going to build the church. And when we will make Jesus the foundation of everything, he says, I'm going to build my church on that, and hell cannot stop it. What I'm telling you is that hell cannot stop Restoration Church. Come on, the gates of hell cannot stop us. Why? Because Jesus is Lord, Savior of our life. Come on, can we all, just for a moment, put our hands together. Can we thank Jesus that he's Lord, that he's Savior, that he's our Redeemer, that he is our Messiah. Thank you, Jesus. It's by faith, through our confession, 
of Jesus as the Messiah, that the Son of God, that we are saved. And now watch this. I said that it is a covenant of, uh, of lineage because we're adopted into that bloodline. Watch this. First Peter Chapter 2 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now watch this. Why do I say adoption? You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once weren't, but now you've been adopted in. Because Jesus came through this royal bloodline you being adopted into this royal bloodline. We are adopted. We are called his own because of what he did on the cross. Amen? And then the third covenant that he fulfilled, the band, you guys can come back. The third covenant that he fulfilled is this, the Mosaic covenant. It would actually be the second in the line. If you go Abraham, Moses, David. But I really wanted to hit this one last. So I really think it hits home to all that he fulfilled, all that he did. Because the Mosaic covenant was really this. It was, it was a covenant of atonement. And Matthew wrote to the Jewish audience to show that Jesus was this. He was a, he was a, a new Moses. So up until this point, Moses had been the most significant spiritual figure in history. And Matthew, in the, the first five chapters of the gospel, what Matthew does is that he parallels many things to Moses and he draws a bridge from the Old Testament to the New. Now watch this. Watch, watch how he parallels just in the four, the things that he highlights about Jesus's life. There are five things that he's drawing these parallels to Moses. Moses and Jesus, both brought out of Egypt. Moses went through the Red Sea. Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. They both came through the waters. Moses was in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus was in the desert for, or I'm sorry, for 40 years. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai, and Jesus delivers his teaching on the mountain in the Sermon of the Mount. So you see what Matthew starts doing is he starts lining up and going, I want you to see that Moses up until this point has been the greatest spiritual figure. But there's now coming one greater. In fact, this is the one that God told Moses would come. Watch this. Deuteronomy chapter 18. Stick with me because this is so important. God speaking to Moses says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my word in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account, watch this. I will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that that prophet speaks in my name. Matthew is foreshadowing and paralleling these scriptures. I'm going to show you just a few more. But he's going, look, Moses was the greatest. But there's one now that trumps Moses. Moses gave us the law 
and Moses gave us a way for sin to be atoned, and all of that was great. But now there is one who has come and has paid a final atonement for all sin. No need for temple sacrifices anymore. No need to come to the temple once a year and, and have a sin offering sacrificed for your sin. Why? Because Jesus came once and for all while Moses used to be the greatest. And yes, we, we still hold and revere him as, as, a, as a holy, godly man. But there is one that came in the fulfillment of everything that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. And not only that, but Jesus was able to uphold all of the laws that he brought down, all of the commandments that he brought down. And then he wouldn't abolish the Ten Commandments, but he would just redefine the Ten Commandments and say, look, it's not about the exterior. It's about the interior posture of your heart. I'm not just telling you don't murder, but don't hate people. I'm not just telling you don't commit adultery, but don't lust. Because when you do that, you've committed adultery in your heart. When you hate your brother, you've murdered in your heart. So Jesus doesn't take the law away or say, I'm going to replace it. No, he says, let's look at this practically because the Pharisees and the Sadducees uphold the law to the nth degree, but yet on the inside of their heart, they're still decaying away. So Jesus said, I came to fulfill all of it. So I want to show you one thing, and then we're, we're going to move into a time of prayer. But I want to show you, I said one thing, maybe two things. I don't know, maybe three things. I want to show you how Matthew, because I want you to watch this as you're, as you're, uh, as you're reading this week. Show me this chart. Matthew, it's laid out around five teachings with narratives in between. Anybody know how many books Moses wrote? He wrote five, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the Torah, and so most scholars believe that Matthew strategically laid this out. He's got the intro, which is the first three, which tells about, you know, the birth. And then you've got uh, verses 26 through 28, which tell about the death. But then you've got these five sections in between, five sections of teachings that then have a narrative in between. And most scholars believe that his whole intent in doing this was again to point it back. Look, he's going, look, I'll do anything I can do to get you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, to show you this is the fulfillment. So four through seven, as you're reading this this week, I want you to think, because I've laid it out for you in, in our reading this way. Four through seven is the announcing of God's kingdom. Eight through 10 is Jesus brings the kingdom into people's lives. 11 through 13 is the responses to Jesus uh, he starts talking about the wheat and the tares and the seeds that are, that are sown and people's response too. Then we get the different expectations of Jesus from John the Baptist to his, to his family, who they thought Jesus was, who they expected him to be, who he wasn't. And then in 21 through 25, you have this clash of these kingdoms, this kingdom that Jesus is bringing to earth that is clashing with this worldview that is messing with people's perceptions, messing with people's idea of, of who the Messiah really was. In the 26 through 28, what we see is we see the fulfillment of the Mosaic covenant. As Jesus will be taken before the Sanhedrin and then taken before Pilate, and then he'll be 
committed to be executed on a cross and they would take him and they would put 39 lashes on his back. Then they would form and fashion a crown of thorns and they would put that crown of thorns on his head. Mock and ridicule. And then they would take a cross that was intended for sinners, that was intended for criminals. They would put it on his back and they would lead him up a hill called Golgotha. And on that hill, they would place him on that cross that they forced him to carry. They would drive nails through his hands and through his feet. An innocent man, a man who did no wrong, a man, the only man to ever uphold the law, who's not guilty of anything, would be nailed to a cross. He would take your place. He would take my place. He would pay the penalty and the price of sin on my behalf, on your behalf. Why? So we could be here today and live under grace. And so he fulfilled a covenant of atonement that no other sacrifice ever has to be made that the lamb that was slayed before the foundations of the earth paid the price for my sin. That he took up his cross and he took my place. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He made the law less about action, more about the intent of our heart. We can't live up to the standard of the law. That's really what the law is all about. It just shows us how sinful we are. But in the law showing us how sinful we are, Jesus shows us how loved we are. That he would take the cross and he would die for us. Come on, will you stand on your feet tonight? Lord, thank you that you fulfilled the law. Thank you, God, that you offer us grace, that you offer us atonement. You're all we need tonight, God, and we thank you. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Restoration Church. Or if you haven't already, you can download our Restoration Church app. There you will find more about who we are as a church and how to get connected.